trying to improve any area of our lives, work, marriage, family, money, or physical well-being, without the input and guidance of the God who made us, is like trying to construct a house without blueprints. Christian author Elizabeth Elliot once said, We cannot give our hearts to God and keep our bodies for ourselves. Yes and amen. We are to submit our whole selves, including our bodies, to God in view of His mercy. God is the creator, sustainer, and redeemer of all things. Real transformation begins and is sustained through ongoing godly humility. This humility comes from God, not ourselves, and it leads us to repentance, a desire to do life in a new way with new purpose. In godly humility, we relinquish control of our lives and the meaning we've given our pain. Humility helps us take our right place in the order of creation. We bow our lives to a king while surrendering the weapons we tried using to manage our pain. We give God the right to repurpose our pain and to tell us who we are as his people. We know that no matter what trouble comes our way, we must give him the right to lead us because he showed us the way when he won back our lives in one great act of humility. Hey, Revelation Wellness friends, you just heard a sneak peek of Elisa reading from her new book, The Body Revelation, which is available for pre-order right now. And when you order, you get access to the full audio read by Elisa before the audiobook releases on June 13th, which means you can press play on hope and begin to metabolize pain, banish shame, and connect to God with your whole self. And if you love what you just heard, then you're going to love the Body Revelation season right here on the Revelation Wellness Podcast. I'm Aaron, one of the team members here at Revelation Wellness, and each week on Monday and Thursday, Elisa is taking you through the stages of metabolizing pain found in the Body Revelation. This week, she's walking us through the stage four, which is all about humility and how we need Jesus if we want real freedom. So before you press play, please be sure to swipe up on the show notes for the link to pre-order The Body Revelation and go get your audio today. Let's get ready to dive in. All right, friends, welcome back. It is Thursday. That means it's teaching day. I love to teach. So thank you for being a listener and being a student. We have been working through the six stages of metabolizing pain on Mondays. We've been moving our bodies, revving the word together, just getting the seed planted conceptually on what it takes to move some of these issues out of our tissues. As you know, I've written a book called The Body Revelation. It comes out on June 13th. And I hope you'll get a pre-order. Go get a copy. If you pre-order now, you get a you can start listening today to me in your ears teaching you through the book. So that would be great. But even if not, I want you to know these high-level concepts because it helps us to summarize everything we've been doing here. And it helps to make sense of why you do feel better after you have moved your body or you have taken some time to sit and be still, or to breathe, to practice awareness, all the things that we're doing here all the time. So if you're popping in today, we're going to 
uh, talk through the fourth stage of metabolizing pain. And I love giving people kind of an on-ramp, a process, a guide to kind of go down the road and journey on as you are moving towards a, a goal of getting well and living free. So the first stage was four weeks ago, so you can go back and scroll back three other episodes. And we talked about surviving. That is the, the basic place where we all begin. Um, you have to deal with our desires. We have got to drop the pin on how we are just managing and getting through life. So that was stage one. Stage two, we recognized that the reason we have a hard time doing what we know is right to do is not because you lack spiritual self-control or discipline. It often has to do with a biological change that happens to your brain due to the ongoing stress that is in your body. Stress is not something that destroys just our spiritual health, but our physical health too. This is why Jesus says in Matthew 6, do not worry about what you will eat or what you drink. The Bible's clear on that over and over. Do not be afraid. Do not worry. God doesn't say those things because it makes us unappealing to the world, although it does. It truly rips away at the very design of our body and the way he has created us to function well. So that was stage two. And there's lots of lovely uh, research and science behind that chapter. And trust me, a 10-year-old could understand the science. It's simple and easy, but it helps you to make sense of why you continue to do what you don't want to do and what you want to do, you don't seem to be able to do. I'm telling you, I'm just teaching you what I know. This was the journey for me to metabolize my pain. I knew the woman I wanted to be. I would read the Bible and be like, I want that, but I couldn't live it out. And so this was the journey I had to take, which took me to st stage three, which is expressing. There is some stuff inside of me and I needed to find healthy ways to get it out of me. And here's the thing. I knew that exercise made me feel better. But I was using exercise as a way to run from my pain, as a way to escape it. We can actually take that desire to move or express and use it in a healthy way. So I talk about that. And in that stage, it's really about coming to ourselves, being able to come to ourselves, to feel what we are feeling. A lot of us are afraid of our feelings. So we learned that. And again, I'm high level teaching you. So I hope you get the book because I can help you get more specific on this. And truly, can I just let you in on a secret? I wrote this book, not necessarily for you. Yes, for you, but for your children, for the next generation, everyone, because we have to get free. And if we get free, they go free. Discipleship is about teaching being taught and teaching others. And if no one ever taught you this, you have to learn. It's time and it's doable. It's in the gospel. These are all gospel-centered centered principles. But you learn it so you can live it and give it. And then we truly give the world something, a legacy of how to live a life, even though we will have trouble. So today we are in stage four, which is humbling. If you revved the word on Monday, we 
got after it a little bit. I was so jazzed about humbling because as I said in that teaching, this is where everything changes for the people of God. Those first three stages, anyone can do that. Anyone can come to themselves to recognize, man, I am not able to do what I say I want to do. Anyone can find the research out there about their adverse childhood experiences and how it has hurt and affected their brain and their, their health. Uh, they, can, they can get all this knowledge out there and become aware and become aware of their desires. Stage one, two, and three, anyone can do. That is a common grace for mankind. God is so kind to keep us surviving, to keep us even with an ability to desire, and then to have wisdom and knowledge to understand that that our desires, our sins, misplaced desires, uh, that doesn't just affect our souls, it affects our bodies. Okay, so now we can partner with some healing properties and express. Anyone can do that. But friends, this is where I get passionate. We have now crossed over. When you get to this place of stage four, humbling, everything changes for the people of God. In the book, I often refer to the, the story of the prodigal son. And in Luke 15, starting in verse 17, it says, but when he came to himself, this is the prodigal son who had been off and squandered his money. When he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger, right? He's expressing, he's feeling his feelings. I'm hungry. Wait a minute. I had it. I'm here and my father's servants have more than enough. So he's starting to reconcile or wrestle with something's off here. And again, the whole world can do this. The whole world, anyone can have, get a grace to come to themselves. That's the grace of God that we can be like, wait a minute. Let me look at this again. Something's off. But when we turn to verse 18 of the prodigal story, this is where everything changes. And he says this, I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Do you see where he does? He comes to himself to go somewhere, to arise. The grace to come to ourselves in expression is the invitation to come home. Go home. Go home to the Father's house. If you've ever read the Chronicles of Narnia, there's a, the, the last book of the Chronicles of Narnia, which, by the way, it's a great children's series book. So good. Go get them. If you've never read, read them yourself, read them. If you have kids, read them too. Read it to them. It's just such a beautiful picture of the kingdom and, and this this battle that we have. And it's a book called The Last Battle. And there's a line in there at the very end as they're going up towards the, this, this promised place of being with Aslan. And it's this, further up and further in. Further up and further in. When we come home to God, we're going further up and further in. While the rest of the world is chasing themselves in a never-ending cycle and loop that's taking them further away from God, further down and further out. When we humble ourselves, 
we go low so we can go further up and further in rather than dusting ourselves up and bootstrapping ourselves again, trying again, which only takes us further down and further out because we cannot save ourselves. When the angel of the Lord comes to Joseph and tells him, you're going to have a son, you're going to call him Jesus because he will save the people from their sins. We have a savior and the name Jesus means the God who saves. Nothing else will save. Nothing else will satisfy. So we humble ourselves to say, I've gotten this wrong. I want to come home. There has to be a place where I belong. James says that God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble, right? So we have to ask ourselves this question in humility, because this is where everything changes. When we become humble people, we go, I'm going down. I will go down so I can arise. I've got to get low to go back up, further up and further in. That when we have been given grace from God, it's for this going a new way. And as Romans 2, 4 says, it's the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance. Our ability to humble ourselves is a gift of God so we can receive his kindness. Do we see how good God is? Whoever told you God is mean and difficult, lied. Satan is difficult. The world makes things difficult. Our flesh makes things difficult. But God is kind. And his arms and heart is always open for us to come home. We have to ask ourselves the question. Humble people are able to ask themselves this question because this keeps us metabolizing our pain. Is what I am thinking or feeling, saying or doing kind? Is it kind? Remember, it's the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance. Repentance means a new way of life. You don't have to go travel those roads that lead to nowhere anymore. Is what I'm thinking kind? Is what I'm about to say kind? And the truth is, if you've lived through a lot of trouble or stress and you feel stressed out, life feels hard. And being kind feels way too vulnerable, way too soft and easy. But the humble are able to pull back and say, is what I'm thinking kind? because it's the kindness of the Lord that leads us into new life. The other thing that we can do in humility is we get perspective. When I get the best view on my life, when I go down, I get the best view on other people. If I'm judging other people or assuming something, I got to go lower. I get the best perspective in my prefrontal medial cortex. When I bow down, I've got to go down. I have to lower my thoughts that are raising themselves up higher than those of God. And when I go down, I get a bigger perspective in humility of submitting myself to God, that there has to be something more than this. I get a bigger perspective. So I can ask this question, will this matter in a thousand years? <laughs> we make things matter that don't matter in the end of it all. 
man, I wonder about how many things in our life we see Jesus. We'll wonder, why did I spend my life on that? Why did I waste so much time and energy? And listen, there's grace and there's mercy, but we can ask ourselves that question today and save ourselves from much heartache. Will this matter in a thousand years? That's humility. It makes us small so we can see how big God is. There's something that astronauts call the overview effect, uh, that when they go into space and they look out and the window and they see how small the earth is, we've heard stories of many of them who begin to tear up. They don't even know why. They're crying. It's because they're getting perspective of how big the world is and how little we are. And when you know you're loved by a God who sees you, knows your name, called you by name, that you are a dream in his heart in eternity past and long before he laid a stone for the earth, he had you in mind. And the reason he created was so that you could have a place to adventure, belong, and be. The earth is like our nursery. <laughs> our playground. And when we pull back and get perspective, we take that heavy yoke off of us and off of others. So humility allows us to get a bigger perspective. And I get the best perspective when I go down on my knees. These are all marks of kindness, mercy, and grace. And kind people are God's kind of people. And friends, kindness isn't soft and flimsy. It's clear and firm. We have a statement in the ministry. We say this often when we get to these tough places, maybe it's just things are changing in the ministry or something's happening. And we know that this could be a change. And everyone, when you feel change, it just, it hurts a little bit. It's uncomfortable, but yet we want change, but we don't really like how it feels. And so we're always trying to navigate new waters and growth and shrink. Some things have to get less and some things have to get bigger and so it's change. But when it comes to communicating and staying in relationship with other people, we have this saying, clarity is kindness. If we can just be clear with people, it's kind. And although it still might be a heavy message, if we can deliver it well in kindness, the clarity is a gift. And so although it can still hurt because it's change or maybe something we weren't hoping for, it's still kind. Kindness is not weak and a pushover or prone to people pleasing. It's firm. It's a foundation. God does not lower his character to meet us in our pain. God is kind but he does come to meet us in our pain. And that's his nature. His nature is to nurture us until we are mature children, kind and courageous kings and queens, children of the king of the world who so loved the world. Kindness comes with humility. Humble people are kind people. And kind people believe in the kindness of others. This leads to the next point 
of being able to metabolize our pain. For us, again, now it's the people of God that we get on our face and things start to go in a beautiful new direction in humility, something the rest of the world cannot get. But it also means get ready. Does your body feel like a problem to be solved? Do you feel stuck with your body trying to make the best of what you've been given? Are you still prone to getting stuck in the obsess and neglect cycle concerning your body? Friends, this is Elisa, and this is why I wrote my next book, The Body Revelation. In The Body Revelation, you will learn how to stop treating your body as a problem to be solved and learn how to engage with your body and God as part of the solution instead. This isn't a book just to be read. It's a book to be trained. Swipe up on the show notes now to pre-order your copy of The Body Revelation. Thanks for helping us share with the world that what's needed now on the earth is for each of us to walk with God and receive a body revelation. And now back to our show. Kindness comes with humility. Humble people are kind people. And kind people believe in the kindness of others. This leads to the next point of being able to metabolize our pain. For us, again, now it's the people of God that we get on our face and things start to go in a beautiful new direction in humility, something the rest of the world cannot get. But it also means get ready. These kinds of people that are humble and kind, they aren't afraid to ask for help. (laughs) They aren't afraid to ask for help, friends. I am better at this. I'll say that much. I'm better at this, but I once upon a time, I was the worst at this. And I don't know why I look back. I'm like, why couldn't you just ask for help, Elisa? But it's armor. It's protection to think I'll take care of it. I can do it myself. And truly we, we don't feel like anyone's going to be there to help us because someone that we needed to be there to help us wasn't. There's a concept in the psychology world called learned helplessness. In the book, I talk about learned helplessness versus learned helpfulness. But here's what I think about learned helplessness, that you don't have to learn helplessness. We're born helpless. No one needs to learn it. What we need to learn is helpfulness. Helpfulness tells us that we can take hope. When help is there, that gives us hope. And we feel safe to ask for help again in a time of trouble. I honestly cannot remember a time that I went to my mom or dad and just maybe scared of what they would would think and say, I need help. Because if I was scared of what they would think, I knew I couldn't ask for help. So again, a root expression or feeling there is fear. And I have a feeling and a sense that many of us were raised in homes with fear because our parents loved us from fear or those in authority loved us from fear. They actually thought they were helping us when in fact they were hurting us. And now we don't know how to ask for help. (laughs) So we have to learn helpfulness once again. 
in the book, I talk about a um, study. So I'm going to read that to you. It's on page 154. And it's a rat study that was done. And I'll read to you. It says this. In the 1950s, Kurt Richter, a psychologist, uh, I'm sorry, a psychologist and professor at Johns Hopkins University, did a series of experiments on rats. He put them in buckets filled with water to see how long they could swim. Even though they are known for being good swimmers, the rats lasted only minutes before they drowned. In a follow-up experiment, he pulled the rats to safety just before they went under. After giving them a short period of rest, he put the rats back in the buckets. This time, the rats swam another 60 hours or so. Here's the takeaway. Help doesn't just give us a reprieve from our pain. It gives us hope to keep going. Do you get that picture? These rats, when they thought no help was coming, they only lasted a few minutes. That was their reality. That's all they knew. I don't know what was going on in their little rat brain, but it was, we're done for. But just at that final moment to have someone come and rescue them, dry them off, give them a moment of reprieve, it emboldened them. So the next time they went back in the water, they lasted 60 hours. This is true for us. That when hope shows up or when help shows up, it emboldens us for hope. For the humble, we can expect that times of testing will come. Times that are tough are going to come. So we, one, must be able to ask for help. Psalm 46.1 says, God is our refuge and our strength and ever-present help in trouble. I have a question for you. When it comes to doing new things, whether it was for your health or new habits, desires that you have to go in a new direction, how proficient are you at taking a moment to recognize that you need help, to ask for help, and to ask for help from God. This is why, friends, in the book, I have you practicing. There's a lot of practices, but the one thing I ask you to do is these practices of NSDR, non-sleep deep rest, or being still and just breathing because you will not be able to recognize that you need help until after the damage has been done. And God is still faithful to help. He'll always come and help, but we could avoid greater messes and damage if before the accident or event occurs, we can ask for help because scripture says he is ever present. When we are in trouble, he is a help that's ever present. I just don't think we ask for help. We go to Google, we go to Instagram, we go to quick to uh, get a dopamine fix, whatever we need. We're not really good one and recognizing we need help. And then two, asking for it. Three, going to the right source. Humble people know where their help comes from. Their maker of heaven and earth, as Psalm 121 says. We have to be able to know when we need help 
and that we can ask for help. Again, though, it's going to take practice. So how good are you at asking for help? How comfortable are you with it? Y'all, I get testimonies all the time. We get testimonies of people because of the practices they do here, because they start to embody their faith, they surprise themselves with their ability to slow down, to be a responder to a situation and not a reactor. And that's what the world needs. The world needs safe, healthy people who can say, how can I help? It's what we're here to do. We're here to serve and not be served. But if our brains and bodies and immune system have been wrecked by the, uh, by the distress of stress that ongoing in this world, we don't have a chance. Again, we can be saved, but not free. Humble people know where their help comes from. And they know where their work comes from. And humble people know that work comes from rest. How rested are you? <laughs> because rest and sleep are not the same thing. A lot of us don't get great sleep, and so we don't feel very rested. But we can start to get better sleep if we learn how to rest even during the day, just taking moments to rest, to breathe. At Revelation Wellness, pretty much every single uh, staff or, or meeting, we open in prayer. And pretty much almost every time I'm like, it's just part of our culture now, before anyone says a starting prayer, we all go, hey, let's take a breath. And we all... We just take a moment and then we go with the prayer. And what we're trying to do is rest ourselves, rest in the Lord and reset ourselves into a place of rest that our words matter to God, that he hears us, that we're not just ticking off the next box and going to the next meeting and running a race. No, let's rest. We can rest. And if we have more moments of rest during our day, we will have better sleep and then our work from each day or to each day will be that much more built on a healthy foundation. You heard me mention earlier in this podcast about non-sleep deep rest. You guys, this is part of healing this, the issues in our tissues that have affected the organization and structure of our brain, making it hard and difficult for us to ask for help and be able to be people of rest. But when we do these non-sleep deep rest activities or practices like the Be Still and Be Loves that we give you, and by the way, if you get the book, you get almost every chapter but three, you have a meditation that goes along with it, a biblically sound meditation. You can listen to it before you go to sleep or however you want, but this is something to be practiced. As I've said, this is a book you do, don't just read. Those non-sleep deep rest moments help you to know when you need a helper. Friends, it's not as difficult as we make it. We just think it's difficult because we believe the lie that we're responsible for everything. And really, that's us being the Savior. When we know we need a savior, this is again why everything changes. I can't wait to do the next two stages with you of this book because... This is the fun stuff. 
but we can't go to that. We can't go to the kingdom stuff unless we bow ourselves before a king and say, Father, I have sinned against you. I have held my case against you and I'm laying it down. Please come and help me. That's why we, I remind you over and over that information doesn't change you. It's doing new things that does, asking for help, taking a moment to breathe. But these things must be practiced. So get the book and let me literally walk and move with you through embodied change. Thinking new things when it comes to your pain, saying new things when it comes to your pain, and doing new things when it comes to your pain. Mind, mouth, move. That makes change. Think new things, say new things, do new things. The humble know where their help comes from. So the things they say are different than the world. The things they think are different than the world. And they move because they see a world in need. I love you guys so much. I'm so thrilled to be with you. I hope this is exciting you and whets your appetite to keep moving and having a faith that moves. God's doing something, everyone. I think the church, we need this. People of God need this. And those who don't know God need this because, again, they're either going further down and further out or further up and further in. Let's keep going further up and further in. I'll see you on Monday. Peace.